G'day, it's Aiden Jones. You're listening to Sitting Under a Tree for Tuesday, the 9th of January 2024. Mate, on the buzzer at the end of Tuesday. Hope you're good. I'm, uh, I've just had a big relief because I'm in Sydney at my friend's house. Is that good? I, I genuinely two can't tell tonight. I've brought my keyboard, first time travelling with it. And I did my first gig, part of the comedy store run. It was at the Factory Theatre in this little container room that they have, like 40 seats, and it was great. I did seven minutes. It was fucking awesome. Had a lovely time. You know, I did well, whatever. Then I jumped in the car and I drove down to Potts Point to do my friend Daniel Muggleton's room, The Running Joke. And the crowd were a bit tough. And then also... Like I fucking took my keyboard up the stairs And then I had it just like standing against its own stand At the top of this stairwell But like in a spot that was out of the way But not against the wall It should have been leaning against the wall But it was out the way enough You know, like it was like next to the banister And then I went downstairs Um, My teeth feel all fuzzy Also I'm sick I'm in a bad mood. I'm in a fucking stinker of a mood. So you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I've got a tea here. I think it's going to be too hot. Oh. oh, what kind of tea is that? What's going on here? Oi, fucking tea too. Yellow. So it has to be chamomile, right? New York breakfast. What the fuck? (laughs) Come on. Surely yellow, when we're talking about... Look, when we're talking about tea, surely yellow has to be chamomile. You can't go fucking pimping out the colour yellow to all these other flavours of tea. Also, and another thing, don't you reckon all these different types of breakfasts, like it's English breakfast, but then there's like Melbourne breakfast, New York breakfast... Paris breakfast. It's like, it's just breakfast, man. I don't, what's the difference? Maybe there is a big deal. You know what? I literally just got finished saying that I'm sick. So maybe I can't smell the difference because my fucking nose is stuffed. Oh, yeah, you know what? There actually is a bit of a difference to that. Even with a blocked nose, I can taste it. I take back everything. Have yellow, mate. Hey, enjoy yellow. Take all that you need. Ah. <sighs> So I fucking leave my keyboard at the top. I leave my keyboard at the top of the stairs and then I go down because the door's locked at the top of the stairs to get into the showroom. So I go down to the bar and they take me up the back way and then I go back through the show and open the door that was locked and there's a guy standing there picking my piano up off the floor going, oh man, I'm so sorry. And I was just like, I just, I guess I was stressed Because the show was, you know, like I'm about to go on and I've got the piano and I feel bad because I just feel guilty for introducing this element of stress into our lives. (laughs) You know, I'm just like, God damn it, I've got this fucking piano, fuck, whatever. And uh, so when he was like, I'm sorry, I was like, did it drop on the floor? Like, was there a bang? And he was like, I don't know. I was like what happened, like, did you knock it over, and he was like, oh, I'm just, I'm sorry, man, I was like, it would be fine, it's fine, whatever, it's in a case, 
He was like, I hope so. I was like, well, fucking, I don't know, man. Just fuck off. (laughs) I didn't tell him to fuck off, but like, it was kind of just, I was like, I don't want to ask you to pay for this because I feel like you won't. And then we'll get into some argument. And I know that I could have propped it up against the wall and I didn't. You're still an idiot for knocking it over, but like if push comes to shove, you know, I could have taken better care of it. So like, I'm not going to force this guy to pay for it, but I'm still annoyed at him and at myself and just whatever. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to tell him to get the fuck away from me. But then I took it on stage and set it all up. And then also because I just wasn't organized because I'm sick, but I don't want to say that I'm sick, you know, because I'm a fucking coward. (sighs) Because I just want to do the gigs and I'm not that sick. Um, But because I've been sick and I've just been trying to sleep and rest, I should have messaged earlier and I had my... Oh, God, I'm just in the worst mood, man. Fuck. I had my tour yesterday and uh, I woke up in the morning. I guess I've been like maybe feeling like I might get sick for like a week or something, but it's been fine. And then yesterday I woke up in the morning and I was like, am I kind of sick? I'm not sure. I'm probably okay. And so I went and did my tour and then through the day I just got progressively like I went from like, you know, being like, am I maybe sick, arguably, to by like 10 p.m. or uh, 10 a.m. I was like, oh, I'm 100% just sick. And then I didn't want to say anything to anyone on tour because I was like, now I feel bad because I'm driving the bus and I feel bad that they're here with me and are they going to be angry at me for coming to work, whatever, whatever. <coughs> I don't know. I've just been thinking about all this stuff. Um, but so I didn't warn the club that I was going to come with my piano until this afternoon. And like, again, it's fine, but I just, I guess I kind of sprung it on them. So I felt stressed about that too. So I get on stage and I notice that the pedal isn't working, the sustain pedal, which is like the key to the whole music, right? You can't really play this music without the sustain pedal, but I'm trying to not make a fuss. So we plug it in, get it working over the PA and I'm like, well, look, that's fine. And I'm like kind of not telling them that there's another problem and I'm checking the sustain pedal and it's like, it's not working at all. So I'm like, in my head, I'm just like, I'm just going to fucking do it without the sustain pedal. And then I did it without the sustain pedal and it was a kind of weird crowd. And the fact that I didn't have the sustain pedal working, I just blamed that in my head and I was annoyed and I was like, I bet that guy broke my piano, but I don't want to say that to these people because they don't give a fuck. They just came for a show, you know? whatever so I just fucking did the stuff and what I learned in that set was that when I do this set because it really is about the music the music has to be good if the music's not good then the jokes aren't funny because it's like yeah man sure you wrote good jokes but like what about this music like why is this not beautiful it needs to be beautiful it needs to they need to be taken by how beautiful the music is and you can't play it well, I can't play it right without the sustain pedal. And I'm not a good enough musician to just improvise music that sounds like it, but that doesn't use the sustain pedal. <sighs> I just bombed. I just fucking bombed, you know, and I'm just annoyed. 
upset, angry, hurt. <laughs> and anyway, I took the piano back to mine and and uh, set it up in the bedroom, turned it down low and plugged the pedal in and guess what? It fucking works. Which is good because I was making calculations in my head about how I was going to try and get it to some kind of electric store tomorrow. I don't fucking know what I was going to do, but... <coughs> Thank God I don't have to do that, hey? Oh my God, what a nightmare. Anyway, first gig was great. The first gig was lovely. And I'm in Sydney for the rest of the week. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven more shows this week. And eight on Sunday. So, you know, by the end of the week, this is going to be a distant memory. But I feel bad. I feel like I let my friend down by bombing in his room and springing a new element to my fucking stupid stand-up on him. <laughs> it's at 2pm. Hey, man, I'm bringing a piano. <laughs> a what? Cunt. <laughs> Funny. Anyway, that's what I get for trying something new, you know. That's the lesson. Never try anything new. And um, never take risks. Never fail, just be safe and normal and fucking don't stick your neck out, you know? That's how you attain true success and respect. It's hard. It's hard. This thing that I'm doing, as much as I'm enjoying it, there's a, a, a difficulty to it that I did not foresee. Of course, it was going to be hard, but I didn't expect it to be hard in this way, i.e. me getting over the the embarrassment and shame that I have around not going up on stage just me and doing stand-up like that but actually you know having something else that I use as a part of the act I just I feel ashamed and I didn't expect that to be as difficult as it is (sighs) I want to talk about this cool little thing that I've been thinking I went to uh I was looking for something to do on Sunday. I was just in the kitchen with my housemate. We were just chatting. And I was like, fucking maybe on Sunday I go to a nice market. And we were looking up markets. And there's Coburg Swap and Sell local market in the area. And uh, so we went there on Sunday morning. And I wasn't sure what it was. I I thought it would just be like, you know, a regular market, you know, like with cool stuff and like a coffee place and a fucking, I don't know, I just thought it'd be a market like, you know, like Queen Victoria Markets or South Melbourne or like a cool market that people go to on a Sunday (laughs) and I got there. And first of all, me and my housemate had to go separately because I rode my bike and he got the tram and then walked. And I got there, 15-minute ride on the bike, up a pretty big hill, and then I realised that I forgot my wallet and they only take cash and it's $1.50 to get in. And the lady was just like, you can't come in unless you pay $1.50. I was like, can I bank transfer you? She's like, no. I was like, what's that machine there? She's like, that's for printing the tickets. (laughs) I was like, fucking, god damn it. 
Oh, I was uh, just... I've been struggling to not get angry at people lately. I really just wanted to be like, listen up, you fucking old cunt. (laughs) You're going to let me into that goddamn market. So I turn around and I call my housemate and he comes out because he's already inside and he gives me a dollar fifty like a fucking beggar. And I give it to the lady and she's very kind and I have no problem with her. Great. We go into the market. It's not like a cool kind of nice, you know, um, uh, beautiful white Instagram woman sitting on a windowsill with a cup of coffee and the evaporation is going up into her nostrils and she goes, mmm, it's not that kind of vibe. Instead of, uh, you know, beautiful white woman... It's like a hairy, like 60-year-old Greek man selling engine parts (laughs) out of the fucking, out of the boot of his, like, 1994 Datsun Bluebird. I mean, there was some sick stuff there. I I did like it, but it took me a moment to recalibrate my expectations and what, oh, the fucking people, bro. I looked around for a second. I Yeah, I think I was just a bit grumpy. I don't know why I was so... I've been grumpy. Oh, that's the title of the podcast. Grumpy. Grumpy do. Yeah, I've been grumpy this week. Um... Yeah, we got there and like it was in the old drive-in cinema, old drive-in cinema, still operational drive-in cinema and uh, the snack bar was open. That's nice. But then all these people come there, you know, to sell their stuff and uh, my housemate made a joke when we were talking about going there about how sometimes at markets it feels like people have just ordered some like market sellers 101 kit off of like um, Alibaba, you know? And they all have like the same like selection of hats or like t-shirts or whatever the fuck. And we got there and I was like, there ain't no market 101 kits here, hey. Because people were selling like toys like from the 90s old like dolls and stuff. Some people were selling just like racks of cassette tapes and VHSs and DVDs and shit. I'm like, who's buying? What is this? What is this? Um, what other stuff? Some people just had like random books. There were, you know, like car parts and machinery bits or whatever. My favorite moment that I saw was I was standing... Because we just walked around and looked at all the tables just to see what was there. And the vibe is, I think, that people go every week and they get to know each other and that's just what they do. Like, I remember my my grandpa, my dad's dad, we would always, when I was a kid, he would take us to swap meets, is what he would call them. They wouldn't call it buy and sell or a market. they call it a swap meet. And I never understood the meaning of those two words. You know, when you're a kid, you just hear sounds. You don't know what the words mean independent. I'm like, this place is a swap meet, but I don't know what the, like, I wasn't even aware of the fact that there were two separate words, but it's where you meet people and you swap shit, right? And that's basically what it is. It's not, 
it, it is that. That really captures what it is because it's not for any kind of financial gain, I don't think, even though maybe that's what people might tell themselves. But it's not. It's just like, I've got some stuff and I'm going to go to this place where all these other people have all of their stuff and then, you know, my stuff that I'm sick of, I'm going to trade it with someone else for the stuff that they're sick of and now I've got new stuff and that's exciting. <laughs> like, maybe someone buys fucking 10 of your VHS tapes for 10 bucks and then you go and you buy, like, a fucking plastic plant. <laughs> From someone else's stand. <laughs> We're just swapping all of our stuff around. Because you get bored of your stuff, so you want some new stuff to look at. So you <laughs> and, and it's really nice, because, I mean, I guess, you know, you're not buying new stuff. Everyone likes having stuff. But rather than buying a whole bunch of new stuff, just go to a place where all other people have their stuff. And you just change it. So, yeah, it's a swap meet. And um, my favorite moment was seeing these, there were these like three Vietnamese guys standing like, you know, they were browsing and they would have all been like in their 50s, maybe 60s, maybe like one of them was older, like in his 60s, but they were all, you know, they were getting on and uh, you can tell they were not rookies. They were veterans of the swap meet circuit. They go to a lot of these type of things. And the guy standing behind the thing, you know, he was just like watching them, looking like just, just fucking inspecting them as they looked at his stuff. And the the guy who I loved, this one Vietnamese dude, had a fucking cigarette, like almost burnt down, but still going, just hanging out of his mouth as he just went through all of the, like different bits of drills and engine things and metal stuff that I had no fucking idea what it was. And he picked a thing up and he goes, the guy goes, that's 15. And he goes, 10. And the guy's like, nah, it's 15. And he just put it back down and he was like, ooh, just kept looking. And I was like, these fucking guys, what would they be doing if they weren't here? This is where you belong, man. This is, I just, you'd see people in their fucking element and I loved it. And I was so not in my element. I said to my houseman at one point, we are the youngest people here by 20 years minimum. Oh man. I saw one lady who was like kind of older, but she was dressed like a hot 20 year old at a club, but she was like 50. I was like, this lady's been dressing like that for 30 years. And I just, I don't know, man. I kind of liked it, you know? <coughs> she's still out here doing her thing. That's who she's been and she's still being that person. She's not giving it up, you know? And I fucking, I mean, I don't know. But, uh, yeah. No, you know what I will say? I kind of thought like, I bet she gets fucking dudes hitting on her there. And that's sick. I don't know why I didn't want to say that. Something about it felt disrespectful. I don't know. I don't know. I picked up a few things. I picked up um, this. Uh, talk about cassettes and who's going to buy them. Me, actually. I bought, uh, I borrowed, <laughs> I borrowed another $2 off my house, mate. The cassettes were a dollar each. 
Um, I bought You Can't Help Laughing with Cole volumes one and two. There are four volumes. I didn't have enough money for three and four. By Cole Elliott, R-rated comedy, and it's a black and white photo of a guy and a moustache. Um, this album contains language which may be deemed offensive. Do not play in the presence of minors. And then on the back, this is really why I bought it. On the back of the cassette, it says, Bookings and Inquiries, Bernie Stall Entertainments, 37 Kilgore Street, Geelong, Victoria, Australia, 3220. And then a telephone number. Like, this tape, they made this tape of this guy doing this stand-up. And then it was like, you can book this guy if you look at the number on the back. This is before the internet. This is before any of that. People would just buy this tape and then look on the back and be like, oh, let's hire him for our fucking whatever. I looked him up. I went down a rabbit hole of this guy, man. This was recorded in 1983. Uh, Cole Elliott <coughs> has been doing stand-up since the 70s. He won this award. I've never heard of this guy. I don't know anyone who's ever worked with him. He won this award years ago. Now, where is it? Uh, it was like an Australian entertainment award that went from... Come on. These boys. The Mo, The Mo Awards. And it was an award that ran for like 70 years and only just became defunct like six years ago. And it was just like for, it was like all these old dogs of comedy. In the 60s and 70s, entertainment wise, New South Wales clubs were the mecca of variety arts. From RSLs to rugby league clubs, they were drawing big crowds and trading very well, presenting two or three shows a week. Some clubs had many more. With as much as five performers on the bill, many had resident eight to ten piece orchestras. Wonderful and wondrous entertainment was flourishing well for everybody, but there was no acknowledgement or kudos for those responsible for those mega shows. Not yet. So in 1975, okay, that didn't run for 70 years. Sorry. In 1975, it started and it ran until 2016. So what's that? That is 40 years. 40 years they ran. And then they stopped. And this guy, fucking Cole Elliott, won it in like 2006 for Best Variety Performer. And there were, like, it's just a fucking, I feel like I just got a piece of history with this tape, you know? It's like, it made me think of there's this, uh, there's this, documentary called scratch about dj culture and there's this beautiful scene with dj shadow where he talks about how i'll put the i'll link it in the notes of the show it's like a three minute scene he he's goes to his favorite record store um in la wherever and you know he was going there for like five years and they would always go man if you like this stuff you've got to see what we got in the basement and then after five years of hearing that every now and then, eventually he was like, all right, let me let me see this basement. Because they're like, not anyone gets to go down here. Like, you got to be, you know, legit before we even let you down here. And uh, you go into the basement with him and it's just like ceiling, floor to ceiling records stacked for like, I mean, you can't even really see how big the thing is. <coughs> 
And he's like, yeah, one time I found a mummified bat down here. It's just this huge cache of records. And he says at one point, you know, at some point, each of these, the people who, it's like it's a reminder, being amongst those records is a reminder to not get too big on yourself because each one of these people who put these records out, at some point, they thought they were the hottest shit in the world, you know? They were like, this is it, this is me, I'm fucking doing it, man. And um, whether you acknowledge it or not, if you're putting out records, you are adding to this pile. So it's just a reminder to stay humble and not ever think that you're the biggest shit or whatever because like most of these people in these things don't have a career and you know whatever but it's also beautiful because they made this thing and it's still there and I fucking found a tape from a comedian who made it in 1983 at a fucking swap meet and I looked him up and you know I guess he's still working around doing his thing or whatever and it's like that's me you know that's a pretty good outcome if I'm still he's like 70 you know if I'm 70 and I'm still working as a stand-up that's a pretty that's a win as much as right now it feels like that would be a loss to just you know have some fucking relic of your past be uncovered and kind of like I listened to it and it's bad I didn't like it at all the stuff you know it's like all these jokes like this Pakistani guy does this and then the joke's got nothing to do with the fact that he's Pakistani or he's like farting or something (laughs) it's really bad (laughs) it also made me think like I guess that stuff to think about longevity with what I say I guess that stuff played really well at the time and I could hear it playing really well in the room and you know Maybe he developed that act because that's what was playing well at the time. Does he really think that stuff's funny? I mean, who knows? Maybe he does. But um, I guess the lesson is to try and say what you really want to say because that's the shit that you'll always stand behind. Like, if you just try and say what the people in front of you want to hear or, you know, try and do what everyone else is doing, then the tastes of the time eventually move on and there's nothing protecting you from being uncovered in what's that 70 thing to 50 years fuck it's 50 years 50 years time being uncovered and having someone listen to your shit and just like laugh at it and say what i just said oh my god it's so bad it sucks you know but if you say a thing that actually fucking resonates with you and is a real thing that is speaks to what it is to be human rather than just like, hey, don't Pakistani guys fart a lot. <laughs> it's just like, there's nothing to that. It's not an observation. It's not real, you know? It's just like, you're just fucking saying words and pressing buttons of like biases or whatever that people have to make them laugh at someone who's not themselves. But... um if you actually work hard and it's harder, but if you work hard and try and say something honest and genuine, even if it doesn't get you anywhere, even if you don't get work, at least no one's going to laugh at you in 50 time in 50 years time. And that's the real victory, isn't it? (laughs) Who cares if that guy worked as a comedian for his whole life 
I'm laughing at him because I found his tape in a swap meet and that means he's a loser. (laughs) I don't know. You have to respect someone who's just worked for that long doing the thing, you know? I wonder what his life's like though. It didn't seem like it would be, I don't know. Yeah, I I think I'm actually, now that I think about it, I don't think I'm doing what he's doing. But I would love for someone to find something that I've done in 50 years' time. 50 years, man, 1983. No, it was released in 1983, sorry. 93, 03, 13, 23, 40 years. 40 years' time, I would love for someone, just like a young comic, to find a thing that I put out and listen to it. Like, I did listen to it. How fucking cool is that? Anyway, shut up about that. Another thing that I saw that I thought was really cool that I think maybe is a bit more interesting. And this, I mean, this actually is a perfect example, right? You can say stuff and there are things that are true, that are deep, that don't change. And um, I've reading this book called Piano Lessons by Anna Goldsworthy, who is a concert pianist in Australia from Adelaide. <coughs> She's a friend of my piano teacher and uh, they have the same piano teacher, this lady, Mrs. Sivan, who my piano teacher from back in Adelaide always, always, always spoke about with this reverence. And this book, Piano Lessons, Anna Goldsworthy wrote it about her lessons with Mrs. Sivan. Mrs. Sivan is, uh, comes from Russia, emigrated to Australia. She thought she was living in, was it that she thought she was moving to Melbourne? I'll read the back. Here we go. In this remarkable story, Anna Goldsworthy recalls her journey from childhood piano lessons with a local jazz muso to successful career as a concert pianist. As she discovers passion and ambition and confronts doubt and disappointment, she learns about much more than technique. Piano lessons captures the hopes and uncertainties of youth, the fear and exhilaration of performing, and the complex bonds between teacher and student. An unforgettable cast of characters joins her, her family, her friends and rivals, and her teacher, Mrs. Sivan, who inspires and challenges her in equal measure and who transforms what seems an impossible dream into something real and sustaining. This is a story of the getting of wisdom, tender and bittersweet. So this um, this Mrs. Sivan lady was at the St. Petersburg Conservatorium and or Conservatoire and her teacher's teacher's teacher was taught by... Uh, Cherney, Carl Cherney, who also taught Franz Liszt and who was in turn taught by Beethoven. So there's like a a lineage of piano teaching that goes from Beethoven directly to Mrs. Sivan and to Anna Goldsworthy and to my teacher and to me. The same ideas and philosophy about music that were taught to me were taught by Beethoven and I, my teacher always told me that and I just, you know, come to appreciate it more and more. It's really cool. And, um, it makes me want to listen. It makes me want to fucking meet this lady. But anyway, there's, uh, you know, like the, since she meets her as a young child, like a girl, she's like six years old when she meets her. Cause her dad was working at the conservatorium in Adelaide and, and was a music director of some school district and accidentally walked in on one of this lady's lessons and was like, who the fuck is this? She's incredible. Why is she teaching in this random school? Gets her to come to the conservatory and, you know, whatever. She becomes a big part of the piano landscape in Adelaide and teaches all these great students and she has this incredible school. And the book is as much of a story of that as it is of a story of this uh, girl growing up to be a concert pianist. And the things that Mrs. Sivan says 
a lot of the time, especially early on, she talks about like you have to hear with your mind and see with your ears and taste with your eyes, you know? And it's very funny. She has a particular way of speaking um, and you don't really think much of those kind of comments other than like this lady's kind of crazy but in the coolest possible way. She's like Yoda and she seems to possess this kind of deep knowledge and this, she keeps one of the, great things that she says that I really connect with is she's like this le- this journey that you're on of uh like being of this life of music is not you don't do it for money but it's rewarding beyond measure because the journey never ends and there's always more to learn with this music you can always learn more maybe with a second rate composer you can reach perfection and you can explore everything there is but with Mozart never Never, ever, ever. You can always learn more. And um, I think that's wonderful. And I, I really understand that. I feel that, especially studying this this uh, Chopin music. Like I just, you know, it's true. Like you can just, you can explore it forever and it's never done. A piece is never done. And um, that's true of music and also just of like, right, some of the like, the art, great art and exploring great art. That's what it's there. And that's what really excites me about it. So <clears throat> at the swap meet, I found this book called The Zen of Seeing, Seeing and Drawing as Meditation, drawn and handwritten by Frederick Frank. It was a handwritten book. I really loved it. I didn't have cash, so I couldn't buy it, which is a bit of a shame because I really liked it and I thought I might like to read it. But I opened it and read a few bits of it. This guy, by the way, hand wrote the whole whole book because he said, I wanted this book to be like a love letter to drawing and you should never type a love letter. You should always write it by hand. And this page here, I want to read the whole thing. The Zen of Seeing is a way... Sorry. The Zen of Seeing is a way from half sleep to full awakening. Suddenly, there is the miracle of being really alive with all the senses functioning. How wondrously strange and miraculous. I draw water. I carry fuel. Uh, That's by Hokoji in the 8th century. Right. And then he goes, How wondrously strange and miraculous. I see. I see a lettuce. I see you. The 9th century Zen master Siyubi was asked, What is the secret of Zen? Come back when there is nobody around and I shall tell you. The inquirer returned and Siyubi took him to a bamboo grove, pointed at the bamboos and said, See how long these are. See how short these are. Suddenly, the questioner saw, had a flash of awakening. What did he see? He had a revelation of sheer existence. Where there is revelation, explanation becomes superfluous. Curiosity is dissolved in wonder. Next page. I took photos of these pages. I think of this story whenever I draw grasses and weeds along the roadside. See how long this one. See how bent that one. See how straight, how curved, how twisted. There are many such stories. A scholar asked uh, Hui Tang to be initiated in Zen. He felt the master had been holding back its central secrets from him. On a walk in the mountains, while the laurels were in full bloom and their fragrance filled the air, Hui Tang asked, Do you smell it? The scholar nodded. You see, exclaimed the master. I am hiding nothing from you. The eyes of the scholar were opened. If you can see, you can see with your nose and smell with your ears. Gregorian chant has the scent of incense. The fragrance of apple blossoms can be seen. Soft whitish pink with the golden light of spring. Now, 
what I think those two things have that relates to each other that really struck me, <coughs> and I guess it seems kind of superficial, but that story taught from like a teacher in the ninth century in 800 AD is talking about if you can see, you can see with your ears and you can smell, you know, with your eyes or whatever. And Mrs. Sivan's saying the same thing. And this is philosophy that's been passed down, you know, from musicians by musicians since Beethoven and probably before that, because he was taught by someone and, you know, I'm sure he didn't figure it all out by himself or maybe he did, whatever. But like, it seems like it's just a silly accident to kind of conflate senses and, you know, I don't really know what that means to see with your ears and taste with your eyes or whatever. <coughs> but it seems to me that it can't be an accident that those two completely separate philosophies contain within them the same ideas and that there are some kind of essential truths about life that we can understand. And uh, that's what you feel when you engage with something that is really great, like the music of Chopin or like, you know, these stories about the Zen art of drawing or great art or whatever it is. And that's the thing that's missing from, what's his name again? What's his fucking name? Cole Elliott. And that's nothing against Cole Elliott because what he was doing existed in the moment that it existed and it was good you know it's he stood in front of a bunch of people and made them laugh there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing deficient or like insufficient about that it's perfectly good enough but there's something else that he doesn't have that's missing from what he's doing which is some kind of essential truth about life you know does that make sense? Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too dismissive. I mean, like uh, in Sand Talk, that book that I was talking about last week, everything has stories, everything has knowledge, you know? That tape, it's good to listen to marginal voices and that, that fucking tape that I found in a swap meet of some comedian from 40 years ago, that's about as marginal as it gets and you can learn something from that too. There's stories in that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm, I, I don't quite think I'm going to make the point that I'm trying to make today, but I think I've talked about it enough that you guys can kind of see where I'm headed with it. And talking about it and thinking about it makes me feel better about the fact that I just bombed on my fucking friend's show. <laughs> <coughs> and it makes me feel better about the fact that I can't breathe through my fucking nose right now. God damn it. Fuck. Ugh. I hope you guys aren't sick. I hope I feel better tomorrow. I think I will. I want to pump myself full of drugs and go. I've been up. My nose has been good all day, but just now, now that I'm in bed in a closed room, it's all stuffed up again and I'm going to fucking eat some drugs and go to sleep is what I want to do. Hope you guys are good. The picture for this week is going to be, fuck it, the, the, the picture that I took of the two Cole Elliott tapes. Yeah, that's got to be the picture. It absolutely has to be. And uh, that's it. You guys rock. And thank you very much for listening. This has been Aiden Jones sitting under a tree. Understand.
Now, 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 now